You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Before we get to your calls, and there are shitloads of your calls, every week there are more of your calls. There's just not enough of me to help all you people. So some of you are on your own. We'll get to some other of you's calls in a minute. Uh, the Republican governor of Nevada, where a domestic partnership bill is making its way through the state legislature, pledged yesterday, so uh, a few days before this podcast will be sent out to all y'all, but pledged last week. To veto the domestic partner bill making its way through the legislature in Nevada. Uh, Jim Gibbons, who's the governor of Nevada, says, I just don't believe in it. Which is hilarious because I just don't believe in Jim fucking Gibbons. This is a man who is currently embroiled in a very nasty divorce, whose wife in her divorce filing is accused him of conducting concurrent affairs with two different women. This is the man who is the defender of traditional marriage in the state of Nevada, which is the state that Las Vegas squats in. Las Vegas, where Britney Spears had her 56-hour traditional marriage, traditional legal marriage. Oh, oh, and Jim Gibbons is also the guy who, when he was running for governor of Nevada, was accused by a cocktail waitress of assault and attempted rape. And then elected anyway. By the voters in the state of Nevada, which tells us a lot that we need to know about the voters in the state of Nevada, uh, which is they don't set the bar very high for private uh, consensual and non-consensual sexual conduct on the part of their elected officials. And yet this douchebag extraordinaire has pledged to veto a domestic partner bill that would grant same-sex couples certain rights like the right to be at their partner's bedside in case of a medical emergency, the right to dispose of their partner's remains in the case of death. Isn't it romantic? A cremation for me, honey, you shouldn't have. This is the douchebag who is going to man the barricades for the traditionalists. This twice, thrice divorced, uh, adulterous, accused, alleged sexual assault attempting piece of shit is going to veto the domestic partner bill in Nevada. Now, we've made progress of late. Vermont, yay, Vermont. Iowa, yay, Iowa. Washington State, which just passed its third domestic partner bill uh, in the last three years. Yay, Washington State. And a shout-out to Jamie Peterson and Ed Murray in the Washington State legislature who spearheaded it. We're making progress everywhere uh, on the gay marriage front, which is, you know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you know, is a particular obsession of mine because one day I would like to be able to dispose of my partner's remains because really, isn't that romantic? Isn't that what it's all about? I, I actually intend to harvest his organs and sell them to recoup my investment on all of his CDs and uh, vinyl, rare vinyl. But only after he's dead, I intend to sell his organs. Right now, he's using them and occasionally I am too. Anyway, I just wanted to rant about the fucking governor of Nevada who's a piece of shit douchebag. Uh, and uh, if I have any listeners out there in Nevada, please get in touch with your governor and tell him that he is a piece of shit douchebag. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus a free gift with most purchases, please visit AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan, this is Camille. I am calling about episode 128, where you talked about the Centaur commercial. 
and all sorts of weird fetishes that might come out of this commercial. Anyway, it cracked me up because I have pretty major centaur fantasies. I wouldn't say that it goes to a fetish, but it definitely is part of um, my masturbation tool bag for sure. So uh, when I saw the commercial, the Old Spice commercial, I was with my grandpa watching television, and I just about like cummed on the couch with excitement because it was kind of like soft porn, and uh, it made me totally hot. So anyway, don't get down on the centaur lovers too much. It's just something that I keep secret little desire that I have, and it does the trick for me every time because it's about like this carnal like like unraveling of social norm and all sorts of things that are wild and crazy and animalistic so anyway that's my thoughts take care you had all my sympathy for a minute there because i do i really feel uh inside uh in my heart i I have compassion for people who are burdened with unrealizable fetishes you are never going to meet that centaur on that commercial because it's a CGI special effect. And you're never going to meet a centaur in real life uh, unless you meet somebody who's in one of those half-man, half-horse costumes, which really aren't going to do it for you, particularly after you've seen the Old Spice dude. Horse dude. But then you lost me uh, when you were on the couch with Gramps and you cummed. The past tense of cum is came. You came on the couch next to Gramps. I can't believe a regular listener to my program can't conjugate the word come correctly in a call. Hi, Dan. Um, I was listening to uh, episode 128, um, and you are completely right about the centaur fetish thing. But if you remember, the centaur fetish actually started back during the um, Hercules uh, show with uh, Kevin Sorbo. Was it? Yeah, it was Hercules where they had this whole race of centaurs, and they were even sexier because they were hairy and bearded, and they were very masculine. Uh, I'm not against centaur fetishism. I'm not against uh, people having crazy fucking fetishes. I'm all for crazy fucking fetishes. All I've said all along is that the Old Spice commercial, like uh, Hercules before it, is going to create a new generation of centaur fetishists. And the tragedy in centaur fetishism, as I've said often, is that it is an unrealizable fetish. For now, come the sex bots, there will be centaur sex bots that will be able to service you and the previous caller, who hopefully by then will be able to conjugate the word come. Hi, Dan. Um, sometimes I read Cosmo because it's pretty hilarious, but I'm looking at like this month's issue, and they're telling me that I should find my A spot. And before you suggest that that's like the ass, it's telling me that it's located above the G-spot. So what the fuck's an A-spot, and is Cosmo just making this shit up? My listeners should not be taking sex advice from Cosmo. They just make shit up. Um, I I don't know where the A-spot is. I would have assumed it was in the anus as well. Maybe it's in the aorta or something. Uh, don't listen to Cosmo. Don't read Cosmo. I remember once long ago I picked up a Cosmo sex tips to drive him wild issue just to see how the other half, and by that I mean the half of humanity who aren't actually having sex, uh, discuss it and and what they're doing or not doing, what they're talking about doing if they ever could do it, which they can't because they're reading Cosmo. No one who reads Cosmo actually has sex. No one who writes for Cosmo actually has sex. And the proof was in 
these sex tips, one of which was you're on a hike with your man and you're in the woods. And if you really want to surprise him, what you do is you pick up a small, smooth stone from a stream and hide it in your pocket. And then when you're fucking in the woods, at his moment of orgasm, you press this small, smooth stone, which you've hidden from him and had in your hand the entire time you're fucking without him seeing into his taint. And it'll give him a mind-blowing orgasm. No, it won't. He'll jump off you 10 feet into the air and say, why the fuck are you pushing a rock up my ass? And he, I would say that, right? And I've had shit up my ass. I don't mind. Cosmo is written by an infinite number of chimps wearing lipstick in an office tower in Manhattan who've never actually had sex. And you shouldn't take sex tips from them. Hey, Dan. My name is Dustin. I'm a straight 28-year-old male from the Bay Area. I had sort of a theoretical question for you. On the most recent podcast, you were ranting about sex robots, and um, I was just wondering if you thought it was ethical for state or privately funded programs to provide uh, child sex robots to pedophiles. And as a follow-up, do you think that would increase or decrease pedophilia? I see sex bots in our future. Sex bots are coming our way. I've said that before. I'll say it again. Centaur sex bots, 50-foot-tall woman sex bots, half-man, half-snake sex bots. All the freaky sex bots on Earth are coming our way except kid sex bots. There really isn't, there really isn't an ethical problem with kid sex bots besides the fact that if you start giving pedophiles kid sex bots, they're going to make the leap potentially to actual kids. The desire to fuck actual children really isn't something that you want to throw any logs on, even robot logs on. You just want to smother those flames. Um, that's why it is illegal for images of children to be possessed by registered sex offenders who are pedophiles. It's why it's illegal for ancient uh, pieces of child pornography, images from the 50s, 60s and 70s uh, to circulate, not because that child is being harmed all over again, although you could argue that that adult now who was that child in that pornography is being harmed by the circulation of those images. It's that it creates – it stokes the desire for, creates demand for and may lead to the production of more child pornography and the abuse of additional children. And I think you know, tossing toddler sex bots – at pedophiles is going to not help. I think that will make pedophiles more dangerous to actual living, breathing children. I don't think it will slake their desire for actual kids. I think the centaur fetish who gets the centaur bot is going to realize that that's the best they're ever going to get. That's the closest to centaur fucking they'll ever get. The kid fucker who gets the kid sex bot realizes that there's one better they can step up. There's one more rung on the ladder that they can ascend. And that's just dangerous, uh, he said, as a parent of a kid and not a centaur. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle, including a great selection of toys, lingerie, and movies. 10 million customers love the quality, the fast, and discreet shipping, and the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit adamandeve.com today and receive 50% off most any item of your choice, plus a free gift with a purchase of $17 or more. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hey, Dan. Love your show. So I'm a 30-year-old woman with a 42-year-old boyfriend. We've been dating for about eight months and uh, have also been living together for a couple months now. 
we have our problems here and there, but nothing that good communication can solve, or at least, you know, make slightly better. We love each other very much, so most things are pretty great. problem I'm calling you about is that we don't have sex. Uh, I don't think he has an erectile dysfunction because he can get his dick hard whenever he wants, and when we do have sex, it's pretty good. The problem is he doesn't want to that much, and um, he's a very sexual person. And can pretty much go at any point if the opportunity arises, so this is kind of a problem. Earlier on, I used to get very self-conscious because I thought it was me that wasn't making him want to have sex, but he reassured me time after time that it's not me. He also told me that while I'm at my peak now, his peak was 20 years ago, so I try to understand and be cool about the whole thing, but I still can't help but feel like shit. Uh, because, you know, he doesn't feel like having sex as often as I do. I've asked a number of times, he's just not that attracted to me, but he again reassures me that he loves me and wants me, but he just can't have sex every day. And um, honestly, although it would be outstanding to have sex every day, I can live without it, but a girl has needs, and we've talked about it and talked about it, and he's told me that I should initiate sex if I want it, and he'll gladly respond, which is fine and dandy, but I want the dude to come on to me. I've told him that, you know, uh, I've told him that a number of times, but if I don't initiate sex, we won't have it then. You know, this is a problem because I want him to want me. Uh, I don't really know what to do about this and figure I'm just insecure or some shit. I don't even know. And it doesn't help. On an added note that he spent four years with his ex-girlfriend, you know, he really wasn't attracted to her. Four years with someone he doesn't find attractive, you know, shit, I don't want to fall into those traps. So this is always running through my head, which, you know, makes me crazier. Um, I love him. I know he loves me. But I'm scared to shit that even though with all this love, you know, he doesn't find me attractive or that this little libido thing could cause more and more problems in our relationship. I certainly don't want to lose him because I love him. So any words of wisdom? So uh, follow-up question. Yes. Do you look like the ex-girlfriend of four years? No, no. not at all. Totally different. Far from it. Far, far, far from it. <laughs> Very far from it. Well, that's reassuring that he's not saying, oh, I wasn't attracted to her at all. I was with her for four years and she was your doppelganger. Then it would be very unnerving. Absolutely, no. It would make me even more crazy, but no, it's nothing of the sort. And we have a much better relationship, but it's still troublesome. Because it makes you feel insecure that you're the one who has to initiate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, I have no problem doing that. I'm, I'm all for we both take initiative, but there has to be something coming from him. Right. But when you do initiate, he's passionate? Yes, and for the most part. He gets it up and he sticks it in you and slams and it around he, until he ejaculates. And it, yeah, and, <laughs> and then we do. And afterwards, he's happy he did it. Yeah, no, we don't have any problems with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, cause I've talked, spoken to a couple of friends, and they're like, "Well, you know, he need pills," and I said, "He gets it up. It's not. He's not getting it up. It's just him wanting to get it up. That's the problem." And I'm not. You always initiating is sandpapering your insecurities about your desirability. Yeah. Now, yeah. you say, and I don't know if it should, you know, I don't know if it should or not. Well, you, know? you say you love him, right? Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. it's a terrific fucking relationship. Yeah. Is being always the one who has to initiate a price of admission that you're willing to pay to be in this relationship? I thought about it that way, and I thought, well, am I willing to do this? And forever. I, forever. And I am, but there's. Okay, well then, all right, you are, you said you are, I'm going to hold you to that. Okay, okay, yeah. You're willing to do this for him, you will pay this price of, mm-hmm. of, you know, having this sort of nagging, you know, rock in your shoe, this this pain in your foot, ass, whatever, and it's always going to be present in this relationship, this, this disgruntlement about who initiates. Yeah. Because you love him, and if you're willing to pay that price of admission, you should 
pay it and swallow it and every time you feel insecure about it you got just got to say to yourself it's the price of admission to be with him it doesn't mean he's not attracted to me he's totally attracted to me he's just one of those guys who idles on low libido and he needs to be kicked into gear by his sex partner he doesn't like most men do the kicking into gear himself he doesn't arrive kicked into gear i've got to start his motor yeah and if you're you know that makes you sound despairing what you said, yeah yeah no because you're right and i thought of it and I, you know i thought to myself well you know what okay let's say i break up because it's such a big thing and i go find some guy who is going to be all over me but the time that i can't respond is when he's going to go fuck someone else I mean, right it just happens so. it's really a silly thing to break up over it is, I, and I understand that. And, again, it's so great. Particularly if you can reach a point where you are absolutely certain, as certain as a person can be in a relationship, you know, all people are ultimately unknowable, as certain as you can possibly be, that he is actually attracted to you. And this isn't something he's doing to be sadistic, and it isn't that he's lazy. It's just how his sexuality works. And, you know, once you figure out how your partner's sexuality works, you have to work with it to get what you want. And you guys do have to sort of meet each other halfway. And, you know, he's being a bit of a douchebag that, that he can't, you know, just out of consideration for your feelings once a month or every other month, you know, look in the mirror and go, ah, 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 I'm going to go jump on her for a change. Right, right. And I would encourage I've... him to do that, particularly yeah, if no, you I stop bitching about having to do it the rest of the time. You know, if one out of every eight times you fuck around, he initiated, I think you would feel less insecure about those seven other times. Yeah. No, I told him that too. I said, yeah, let's meet. When we first had the conversation. But not halfway. No, don't, no, I'm, no, wasn't, don't say let's meet halfway because that is, in a situation like this where there's really a mixed match of libidos but there is love, halfway mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Really? It's not mm-hmm. going to be tit for tat. It's not going to be my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. It's going to be 80% of the time, 90% of the time, you will initiate, and 10%, 20% of the time, he will think to initiate out of consideration for your feelings. If you can get him there, that should be a compromise that you can live with. Yeah. Because what he's demonstrating there is not, I have changed, my libido has changed, the way I work and function sexually has changed for you. Because you know what? It's not going to change. If that's really how his libido and his sexuality works, it's not going to change. What will change is, he is going to make some effort yeah. to, rest, you know. to make you feel like he's initiating some of the time. Yeah. Out of consideration for your feelings. And that is all we can ask, really, is that our lovers demonstrate a consideration. But, they, but you know, our lovers can't change, you know, leopards can't change their spots. Yeah, yeah. Now I hear you. It's a tough one to follow for me because... You know, I've never encountered this where it's just, aside from it just being such a wonderful relationship, I've never encountered right, a man. There, there just, are a million men listening to the podcast right now who, going, who are going, you know why you've never encountered this? Because you're a woman. <laughs> we encounter this all the time. Straight. And I thought that. And I thought that and I told him. usually when it plays out in a relationship, she has a low libido and is slow to start, and he initiates all the time. Absolutely. And that's what I've heard. He feels like a dog. He feels like he's horny she, and blah, blah, blah. So you know, headache, you're paying a bit of the psychic debt that women owe men on this score in your relationship. Yeah, I guess, but no, but I, I thought I thought the same thing. I mean, what, what do guys do when there's you know 
most of the time when you're talking to women, they're like, oh, my boyfriend's always on top of me. My goodness. And I'm thinking, oh, not mine. <laughs> I'm the one who's always ready to go. And, you know, he's just, and, you know, he's very loving and we have a great relationship, but it's just, the sex part is just, you know, he just doesn't react or come on to me the way that I right. usually so, You know so. what? So long, if you were saying everything you're saying and then saying, you know, and nine times out of ten when I attempt to initiate, he's not interested... Yeah. I would tell you to bolt. I would say that's that means he's really not attracted to you. That means there's something else going on. That means, you know, he's a centaur fetishist and you're not a horsewoman and so it's never going to work. <laughs> and he can't bear to share what's really, you know, the tape loop that's really playing in his head and he'd rather masturbate to his fantasies than be with you. But if he's responsive, you know, mm. you know nine times out of ten when you initiate, then you yeah. just need to... Initiate. You need to be assured that he's attracted to you. And I guess that's have a to work on. Healthy sexually related sexual relationship and a functioning healthy relationship. So long as you recognize this as a price of admission to be with him and pay it and stop grumping about it. Yeah, I guess no. Yeah, I guess that's it. You know, no, no. All right, I hear you. I guess I'm just. It's 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 the following of. Okay, I have to just be secure about this because you know there's a little person on the side saying you know he was in the next couple for four years and he wasn't attracted to her. You know, I'm like, what the hell is that? How do you spend four years with someone that you don't want to touch or be with? And I'm thinking, oh, he doesn't want to do the same shit with me. That's this is a problem. But he does it with you when you initiate. Yeah, no, yeah, and you know the other thing which I'm slightly confused about is that I I asked him the other day, um, do you? I forgot what I asked, but I said how, I don't even know how we got to it. But I said, do you jerk off? And he says, yeah, on occasion. And I thought, oh man, but you have a girlfriend, you can have sex with. And then I don't give a fuck if he jerks off. He can jerk off twenty times a day as long as it comes out to me, you know, when I want it. But I mean, is that something where he does jerk off, but he's just not initiating sex? I don't know. Jerk off for all sorts of different reasons. It's not yeah. just, um, I'm not getting enough sex, so I'm jerking off, or I'm not getting the sex I want, so I jerk off. Guys jerk off to relieve tension, to relieve stress. Yeah. And it, sometimes guys jerk off because... It's easy. <laughs> because it's easy, and they want to have an orgasm in a minute so they can think right. again. And not, you know, not necessarily have the full um, Sturm and Dragon drama of actual sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you do masturbate? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you know that sometimes you're masturbating when he's there or he's available, but you're choosing to masturbate instead for other oh. reasons, and it doesn't have any reflection on your feelings for him. No, no. I mean, I actually masturbate when he's not around because, you know, I'm thinking, all right, well, I don't want to make him feel bad, but just silly, but, you know, that I, that I have to masturbate because sometimes I don't feel like initiating. Sometimes I want him to be the one to initiate. There's plenty of times, too, where I'm like, I want... I guess that's where it comes from, this feeling of, like, insecurity because I want to feel wanted, uh, and I, I don't know if that's... Uh, unreasonable to have. Maybe you but... need to redefine how you feel wanted. Right. Redefine feeling wanted to include when you initiate, he reciprocates. When you initiate, he's into it, and therefore he wants you. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. The, the man pudding that he's splashing all over you. Well, good luck. Give us a call back sometime and let us Thanks. know progressing. Hi, Dan. I just have a comment for uh, the 25-year-old virgin that called in. Um, I loved your advice to him. I think it's completely correct that he should be honest. And another reason why he should be honest that you didn't mention is because a lot of ladies his age are going to find it really hot that he's a 25-year-old virgin but isn't all hung up on, you know, some religious thing or whatever that uh, is the reason why he's a virgin. I'm 28 myself, and I realized a few years ago that 
I would probably never sleep with a virgin, and that thought kind of made me sad. I say that because I'm not really interested in men that are much younger than me. I'm also not interested in men with religious hang-ups that have kept them from having sex for all these years. So if I found a guy with a physical problem, not some sort of emotional or psychological problem, and now his dick works, as you say, and he wants to uh, get it on, I would be way into that. So I just want to reaffirm your advice that he should be honest, and he'll probably be surprised uh, that a lot of women are going to find that very hot. Yes, a lot of women will find that hot. Some women won't. That's why he should be honest about it, because then he will separate the wheat from the chaff. He will attract then the women who do find it hot, who regard it as a virtue or not a virtue. Don't want to use loaded terms like virtue in this context. Women who regard it as a perk uh, will charge at him and women who regard it as repulsive will run from him, which is what we should want. It's why we should always be out there and honest about where we're at sexually, what we're into, what our experience level is. Who we are, what we want, because if you put it out there, you will attract what you want. You will get the people who want what you've got to offer, and you will uh, scare away the people who don't want what you have to offer. Hey, Dan, this is Nick. I'm a, a three-year-old guy from Iowa who's about to get married to my partner of six years. I'm calling, needing some help kind of with our cause. Um, we're having a lot of people that fought Prop 8 or that were supporting Prop 8, uh, a lot of the outside hate groups are coming into Iowa. And uh, I was wondering if you could help us spread the word that we need help with sane people to come and um, just support support our cause, support gay marriage, and just show those those groups that they have no place in Iowa. So... Uh, if you could maybe get uh, listeners to go to the website oneiowa.org, O-N-E-I-O-W-A.org, uh, where there's petitions, there's ways that they can contact our legislature, just anything that you could do to get people to help us, because it, it's been just a great, great, great experience over the last week, but... Now we have the hate groups coming in, and they're trying to fight it, and we just need help from the same people. So thanks a lot, Dan. Bye. Thanks very much for your call, and congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. Uh, Same-sex marriage license become available in Iowa to same-sex sexers on April 27th, which is coming right up. And Iowa doesn't have a residency requirement for marriage licenses, so homos from Missouri and Illinois and Wisconsin – and other states that border the great state of Iowa can uh, slip over the border, get legally married, head home, and sue the fuckers in their own states, which is what they're afraid of. And the haters are pouring into Iowa, and the anti-gay ranters and ravers are ranting and raving uh, because we scored a few victories recently, and so they are uh, putting out insane television ads claiming that there's a storm coming and it's going to blow everyone away, which is nuts. Uh, so everyone should go to oneiowa.org, but we shouldn't panic about the hate groups and what they're trying to do in Iowa because the state legislature in Iowa has been very brave and the governor and they have not – they have said they're not going to rush through uh, a constitutional amendment process this session, which means the earliest an anti-gay marriage amendment could appear 
uh, before Iowa voters is uh, 2012 because it has to be passed in two consecutive elected legislatures uh, before it goes to the voters. So uh, people in Iowa are going to have three, four years to see same-sex couples getting married and see that the sky doesn't fall and that the pig manure lagoons do not boil and that the straight people keep getting married and having babies uh, as straight people are wont to do, as straight people still are in Canada and Spain and Sweden and Massachusetts and Connecticut. And hopefully then by the time it is on the ballot, Iowa voters will vote it down or as in Massachusetts, it will never make the ballot because Iowa's elected representatives will head it off at the pass. But anyway, congratulations. Hi, Dan. I'm calling to follow up on your recent discussion of whether or not gay people should boycott heterosexual marriages. I totally agree with you. Showing up is important. And I want to offer some tips that my fiancé and I have done um, planning our heterosexual marriage to make it super queer-friendly. It's been really important to us to take vendors who are queer-friendly. So we're using an officiant who does commitment ceremonies um, until she's able to do gay marriages. We uh, shopped for you know, my dress, his suit, etc., only at queer-friendly businesses that are explicitly so, um, indicated by things like rainbow flags on their doors and all these sorts of things. I mean, it's a foregone, I mean, it's pretty easy to pick what, like, a gay florist, maybe like a tranny seamstress, but I mean, we went, you know, all out in our search, for God's sake, we're getting married at a restaurant that's co-owned by an indigo girl. So I just want to put it out there that, especially in a lean economic time, one can really put their money where their mouth is by supporting queer friendly businesses. The average American wedding costs about 30 grand these days and, uh, and many cost much more than that. So why would you want to reward a vendor whose values conflict so strongly with your own if you're a heterosexual person who believes in gay marriage? Thanks very much for your call. Thanks very much for putting your money where your mouth is. We appreciate it. Dan. Hey, it is Paul. Um, Love you, love your advice, uh, recommend you to all kinds of people. Um, and uh, I'm a 37-year-old um, het dom male in the BDSM community, and I was calling you back about the, uh, I was listening to the uh, podcast, I guess it was uh, three or four episodes ago, where you got a call from a BDSM girl who was having trouble meeting uh, younger girls and had uh, problems with only meeting creepy older guys. Uh, in the community, and uh, while I thought your advice was completely sound, um, I wanted to throw in a little bit more specific information that she could potentially find useful. Uh, the first is there are uh, groups specifically designed normally for the 19 to 35 age group called TNG, which stands for the next generation, and they're in most of the major cities where there's a decent-sized scene, and it sounds like she was probably from one of those um, areas. Um, and the, the second was um, FetLife.com, which is kind of like a kinky Facebook uh, that your mum won't see, and you can post uh, outrageous pictures and uh, meet other kinky people. And they have a group uh, on there called Under 35s, which is a great way to find out if there's a TNG or similar uh, event in your area, or to start one if there isn't. Um, anyway, I'm kind of aging out. I'm 37 uh, and rapidly becoming the... Uh, creepy old man that she's trying to avoid, uh, but I thought that might be some uh, some useful information. Um, it occurs to me, uh, you have uh, 
these people on your speed dial, uh, doctors, sex toy experts, etc. Um, but nobody really that's kind of uh, heavily involved in the BDSM community. So uh, I would love to volunteer to be your, uh, you know, kick savvy at risk pervert, I guess. Um, I'm actually a BDSM educator. I present at a number of events around the country uh, in the U.S. I live in the U.S., although uh, obviously the accent, um, I'm actually originally from England. I know you like sexy accents, so uh, I figure that might work for you. Uh, I've never said this to a gay guy. I don't think I would, uh, but call me sometime. Thanks very much for the call, and we will keep your number on file, and we will use you as a guest expert. We will brutally use you. We will use and abuse you. Me, a gay guy, is going to use and abuse you, a het dom, on my show where I'm in charge sometime and sometime soon. Thanks for the input. The The Next Generation uh, tip was a really good one. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question for a future train wreck of a program. A little program note before we run away. This Thursday, just a couple days from now, I'm going to be appearing, reading a new story uh, at the This American Life live show from New York, which is going to be beamed via satellite to more than 400 movie screens nationwide. If you want information about the This American Life live show and getting tickets for one of those 400 locations, go to thislife.org and click on the banner This American Life live. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the podcast. Me and the tech savvy at risk youth and the number once again, 206-201-2720.